0: Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders.
1: This podcast episode was originally recorded on April 7th, 2020. We wanted to bring this episode back from the archives because we thought it would fit nicely
0: with our current adventure travel themed giveaway. We've cleaned up the audio a bit and hope that you enjoyed this episode with founder Zane Lamprey talking about how and why he started Adventure.
1: What is going on Ready Eddie podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with the founder of Adventure, Zane Lamprey. Zane, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me.
0: Yeah, we're sitting down but we're sitting down very very far apart from each other, different countries at this point, right? Yeah, that's that's true. That is very very true. <laughs> you're in
1: LA and I'm I'm in good old Canada. <laughs> yeah, I I'm, I'm I'm in CA,
0: one of the CAs and you're in CA the other place, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, is the exactly. abbreviation to Canada CA or is it CN? It's the think. <laughs> okay. okay, good. All right, so so I was right the first time. I said I should have just stopped. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So for the listener that may not be familiar with Adventure, uh, how would you best describe your your brand to them? Um.
0: So we make uh apparel for uh thirsty travelers. Um. It, it's it's kind of a long story to understand who we are, and that has been a it's been a journey to figure out who we are, and I think a lot of brands. Can relate to that when you think you know who you are, you have an idea of who you are and the market and, and the customers sort of start to dictate what they think you best represent and why they uh, why they become, uh, you know, customers fans fans of you. Um, we started off years ago uh, about 2015 um and no- nowadays and I- we'll kind of I think we'll get to that in a little bit but uh nowadays uh we make apparel for travel that all have um innovations all of our apparel have and our backpacks have innovations in them uh like the um the hoodie uh, turns into a pillow our ba- our backpacks um uh, two backpacks convert into two separate or convert into one backpack and you know the the name Adventure is it's uh, we spell it A D V three N T U R E. The first uh, E is a three because we plant three trees uh, with every purchase. So it's it's not a very succinct answer, but I think in the rest of this interview we'll get to why why I sort of stumbled over that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you start the business around 2015. Um, you run quite a few <clears throat> incredibly successful Kickstarter campaigns, but even even before that. Um, what led you to starting a travel-based product company? You know, I was
0: um uh it's funny. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm I'm Googling something right now because I want to see <laughs> when we did uh this our first um our first Kickstarter uh and it's not readily showing me that. I think it was 2015. So, you know, I had a um I had a bunch of travel shows. I had a show called three sheets where I traveled around the world, uh, drinking with locals to get an idea of the local flavor and really learn about people through sitting down, having a little bit of social lubricant and just getting to know them and, and, and their cultures. So I did three sheets, um, for about four years. I also did a show called half fork will cool travel, uh, on the food network. I did a a show called uh, Drinking Made Easy from Art Cuban's channel. Um, And then I did a show called Chug, where I traveled around by train uh, and did the same thing as I did in Three Sheets, drinking with the locals. Uh, That was on National Geographic Channel and Netflix. And I just recently did a show called Four Sheets, which is on Drink TV. So I've been to about 71, 72 countries, depending if you count the Vatican um but you know in doing that i i really couldn't find the perfect travel apparel there was there's obviously great stuff out there but i was often going to places in spring or fall or even the summer where I would fly into someplace that was a little warmer and then our next location before being able to able to come home was a colder location or vice versa. And so I would always pack like way too much stuff, like way too many jackets and end up probably using them or using none of them. And so I created a, um, now our products, uh, like our parkas and our our hoodies and stuff like that, all zip into each other. They all convert into travel pillows. So when you're not using them, they're full size pillows. Um, and so, you know, I, I really saw a void in in travel apparel um, that was convertible and innovative. So it was something that when you when you traveled, it was something that you would use and something that that would a product that would keep your your packing uh, able to be light. So that was the original reason I, I, I created it. And then because I was doing a lot of drinking shows, uh, we included like a beverage pack, a uh, pocket. Um, almost all of our stuff has built in bottle openers and stuff like that. But we've, we've tried that to, to really hide those things. We don't want to be gimmicky and think like, Oh, it's the beer holder jacket and stuff like that. Um, we, we'd rather be product centric first and then innovative innovations second, and then probably drinking innovations third after that.
1: That's so interesting. So okay, so TV personality. I'm so curious how you even got into that (laughs) as as its own thing. But I feel like that's almost a separate um, conversation. Um, Rolling into sort of the launch of the business. I know you've raised well in the millions of dollars on Kickstarter. Um, Is that what you used predominantly to kick the business off, get it off the ground?
0: Yeah, that and my my own money from from the productions. Um, initially, my own money, um, you know, we I think it was 2015. Um, we did um, or 20, maybe 24. Oh, no. OK, so, OK, I'll, I'll give you the evolution of it. I, I was doing uh, the show Drinking Made Easy for Mark Cuban's channel, HD, HDNet, which is now Access. And, and we were crushing it. We were doing it. We had a great show. We had a lot of fans. The network loved us. And then one day I get the call from from Mark, uh, who said, hey, show's doing great, but we're we're shut, shutting down the network. We're turning into a live music channel. So unless you can turn your show, which is traveling around the U.S., going to different drinking establishments and turning that turn that into a live show. If you can't do that, then, you know, you're done, basically. And in, 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 in not so many words. Um, and so we were just, we were like, okay, what are we going to do? And I, I had talked to my mom and i was just kind of just my weekly chat with my mom. Hey, here's what's going on. You know, whatever. She's like, Oh, why don't you do a Kickstarter like Veronica Mars? And I was like, mom, I don't even know what words you just said to me like <laughs> back then. And so I was like, all right, let me, let me look, let me look at this. Like, no, you know what? I think I was like, okay, mom, you know, let's leave the business to me. I'll figure it out. I, I don't know if a Kickstarter is right. And I don't know, even know what a Veronica Mars is. And so I, uh, I went and looked, and sure enough, at that point, Veronica Mars was trying to raise like $2 million, and I think they did it in the first day. And I was like, we don't have as big of a fan base as them, but we do have a fan base, and our show was basically canceled. We'd gone around town pitching it, and everyone's like, oh, we don't want any drinking shows. Uh, And so we're like, all right, fine, we'll just go do our own. So we kickstarted a show called Chug, which was the first ever crowdfunded television show. We raised over half a million dollars to make six episodes episodes and then when we were done we uh, we sold it to uh, Nat Geo and then after Nat Geo ran it we sold it to uh, to Netflix and that just let me know that there there was this tool out there um, w- you know as as Kickstarter as crowdfunding but the issue with um, uh, with TV and shows and networks is that it's very very fickle and and, and you know one we had a show on on um, uh, on food network called half fork will travel. And it was, it was doing well. It was, a it was a, well, it was a, it was a highly rated show. Um, the, um, the critics liked it, whatever. And, and the person who had bought it and championed it over there went to another network. And so they canceled all of his shows and it was just like, wow, that was, you know, you're messing with people's lives. It's a, it's a big deal. Like for one day, you think you're on top of the world. And the next day you're like, you have no show, no network, nothing. You're, you're back to zero. And so, you know, that was one of the reasons that, that I started an apparel company is because I, I'm, I'm passionate about making cool stuff. I've always been into apparel and gear and I wanted something that the harder I work, the more work and effort I put into it, uh the the better it it, w- it would do like you know it's it, whereas in a tv show the it's just not always guaranteed so the next thing we did was we launched um uh the drinking jacket which was a a hoodie that had built in a built in beer cozy uh, bottle opener zipper um foldable cuffs that turned into basically gloves and and i launched that uh made that overseas made that in china And, um, and we did just over half a million dollars for that. And it kind of made, and then I remember one person saying something, Hey, I love this hoodie, but I'm not really much of a drinker. I drink, but not, not enough to, to justify getting a quote drinking jacket. And I was like, well, you know, that's kind of just the name of it. It's not really like a drinking jacket, like a smoking jacket. It's, you know, it's, it's just like, it's a cool hoodie that has innovations. And so we, uh, next time around, we changed it up, called it the Adventure Hoodie, and then raised about two million dollars uh, on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And that's when we realized, oh, this is who we are. We're not on the nose drinking apparel. We're travel apparel that has these cool innovations and stuff that you would really wear when you were when you were traveling.
1: That's so interesting. Now, I, how when you r- ran that first Kickstarter campaign for for Chug and then for the first products mm-hmm. with Adventure. How did you go about marketing it? Did you leverage sort of your past audience and, and connections from, you know, from television uh, it, shows?
0: It it was a different time. It was really a different time. It was it was a time when you wanted to put something up on Facebook, all of your followers would see it. You know, and, and right now I think on Facebook I have like almost 170,000 on in on Instagram it's like 80,000 or whatever. And and you know, it's it's like um um and it's by the way it's Zane Lamprey if anyone wants to follow me uh and 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 nowadays if you want everyone to see your post uh it's this whole algorithm and and I think if I wanted all my 80,000 people to see a post on Instagram, it would cost me about 4,000 bucks. But back then it wasn't like that. You could speak to everyone at the time you wanted to speak to them. If you wanted to promote it to, to other people, it was, it was also easy that along with, uh, you know, having a mailing list and, and like you were off to the races, you could talk to, I mean, especially back then when I had enough fans and, um, you know, followers that I could talk to and, uh, a newsletter um, that I could send out, I could talk to a lot of people whenever I wanted to talk to them. And so, you know, promoting that was just not as difficult as it is now. There just wasn't as much, as much noise. And I think, um, you know, the show had gone away, it was away for a year. And I think some, the fans missed it and, and people really wanted to do what they could do to help contribute. And so it's a big learning experience, but here's one nearly fatal mistake that I made was I set my goal. Um, on Kickstarter as $500,000 because that was the amount of money I needed to make. I needed to make six episodes. I couldn't staff up and gear up and hire all these people to make two episodes. I would have easily lost a lot of money. So we needed to make six episodes. And for that, we needed half a million dollars. And it's with, with Kickstarter, it's like people like to see a success story much more quickly Right. So even if I was trying to raise half a million dollars, I should have probably put my goal as twenty five thousand. And for anyone who doesn't know, a goal is basically it's an all or nothing. So if I would have hit that that five hundred thousand, I would get it. But if I would be at four ninety nine when the the clock runs out, uh, I would have gotten zero dollars, nothing. No one's no one's credit card would have been charged, and it would have been out. And so because of that, I. I broke that $500,000 on the last second to last day. So every day before that, we're just like, we don't know if we're going to make it. You know, we had a team of like five people, everyone who was on production for the shows before that was still there. And we were trying to figure the, the whole thing out. And it was a grind. It was a grind. Now, even though when I do campaigns, I'm trying to hit a million every time, to- every time I put my goal at something as like 25 or 50,000 because we know we can hit that in the first day and people like a winner. You know they they want they want to know that if they if they back this product that they are actually going to get it not like oh we'll see if I actually get it they want to kind of be excited about it and if they're as excited about it they tell their friends and that kind of thing so there's a lot of like psychology and groundwork uh, that goes into running a successful crowdfunding campaign and at the end of the day. There are, the, there are X factors that you just can't figure out, e- even if you think you have them. I, I know people that have had amazing products. I thought they were amazing, and I thought they were gonna be a slam dunk, and they, and they, they couldn't even raise enough to, to, uh, to successfully fund their, their campaign.
1: That's really interesting. Okay, so you launched with the Kickstarter campaigns. You, you now have a few products rolling with Adventure. Mm-hmm. How have things really grown from those first couple of Kickstarters to, in 2015 to now in 2020?
0: Well, you know, back then um, I was a little intimidated about going over to to Asia to figure out how to get my products made. So I used an agent, like a go-between, and I didn't realize that the go-between was also uh, um, making decisions for us. Um, Like I was like, oh, what are our zipper choices? He's like, oh, this one, this is the one, this is the only one they use, this is the one you got to use. I'm like – Okay, you know, like I guess, you know, and I, really, I think there's other zippers out there. No, 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 that's just those are so expensive. You can't, you know. I'm like, okay, so, you know, and 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 he wouldn't let me talk to the factory. It had, have, I have a lot of questions. I always have questions about anything, and I just want those questions. I, I want to figure out what's going on so I can just do the best job possible. And so with that agent, he was sort of filtering us. We never knew where the, where the factory was. We couldn't talk to them. Certain things we wanted to change, we would have to explain to him. He wasn't even in, in L.A. When, when we were. In, and so we would have to call or email him and take pictures and try to explain it to him. And then he needed to explain it to his person in Asia, who would then go to the factory and explain it to them. And then the response would come back through the you know the operator game. And, and, you know, you'd give 10, 10 changes to a product and you'd get it back. And six of them were made, two of them were made incorrectly and two of them were ignored and you never knew why. And so when we raised the $2 million on with the adventure hoodie, that's when, um, that was the last time we used the agent. We were trying to figure out the workflow and, you know, I mean, I'm just sort of putting it all out there. I, I, I was just, I was intimidated to, to go over there and, and I just didn't know where to start. And like you go online and it just wasn't very helpful. There are a lot of people that want to take your money and be, be a go between, but like, I wanted to go to the factory and I was being told that you can't do that. So, you know, after we did the, the adventure hoodie and we did it with the agent, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. So I went over to, to, to China and I figured it out. I went over there for two weeks. and and you know there's a lot of places that want to do business and they really want your business. And it's not you know they all have someone there that speaks English or several people, and it's just not as complicated as as one might think. And so I went over there and we had our 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 next round, the adventure jackets. we had them made over there with a with a good a really good company that was environmentally responsible. They did really good work. And I just sort of learned the difference between, making it on your own and making it with, you know, with an agent and going through a, you know, the manufacturer directly. And then we did, um, our backpack campaign. And for that, for, for a myriad of reasons, uh, they make some of the best backpacks. Some of the best manufacturers are in uh, Vietnam. So I spent, you know, I, I did a several trips and spent a bunch of time over there making our products and stuff like that. And, 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 um, and that's kind of got us to, you know, the, where where we where we are right now almost. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll kind of leave it at that, and then I'll let you tee up the sort of next the, the next part of it.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I know we were we were talking um, offline about how you're looking to move manufacturing back to the states, and that's got its own slew of issues (laughs) i'd love for you to kind of work through that process and explain like why you're you're deciding to make that decision and and what's really challenging about it you know the
0: the um there's a lot of challenges and i'll see if i can't be more succinct uh about the differences and why we sort of made this decision um you know in asia um there's there's a bunch of factors one is they are heavily heavily into manufacturing and that starts from the fabric to the buttons to the zippers to the webbing which is we call this the straps and everything and, and and you know on the on the garments um to the magnets um it you know everything is made over there and they all work together and so if you go over there and you say i want this innovative jacket that's got buttons and zippers and magnets and faux fur and and and, and you know whatever, whatever kind, con- whatever you want, they, they can do it. And they have the connections and they have the, um, the, uh, the, the resources, uh, and they have the technology to make that all happen. And the technology is a very important piece of it because m- specifically like, I'll just talk about jackets, but it really runs the gamut with all sort of manufacturing all products is, um, they're, you know, constant, Technology is constantly improving and, and they uh, over there, most f- uh, manufacturers keep their technology up to date. And there's something called uh, sealed seams, steam sealed seams. And that is if you have like a raincoat and you, you, you sew two pieces of fabric together, the needle holes that you make will, you know, are perforations and you will get water through those. So they have a a machine that steam seals those seams and basically puts a piece of tape over it and seals it. The machine to do that is fairly simple, um, but it can cost over $100,000 or more, and the technology for it is constantly improving. And so... A lot of the factories over there are just very technologically advanced. And and the labor, obviously, is much, much cheaper. And so if you want to have something technically done, laser cut, steam-sealed seams, and all this kind of stuff, um, it's just not that big of a deal over there, and it's not very expensive. Uh, Whereas in the U.S., if you want to have like a high-tech jacket made, you're kind of out of luck because we just don't have – the, the, um, the technology, um, we're just not up to date with all those because we're not doing high volume. And, and one of the reasons is because we pay our, um, our, our people living wages, you know, over here, uh, it's, it's different and much different in a communist country. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it was to make something like that, you kind of have to do it over there. And the same thing with the backpacks, our backpacks are so technical. Um, if we made our backpack in the US, if someone even dared to make it, it would cost $150 just to make, just to make it. You know, my, my wife, um, especially during this, uh, this quarantine, uh, time that we're in, she does, um, she knits, right? So she makes blankets and she makes blankets just for friends and, and family and just kind of something to do. And when she enjoys it, it's kind of like, you know, therapeutic and it's artistic and, and someone asked her, uh, on her social media cause she posted a picture of it. She said, they said, Hey, can I buy that blanket from you? And my wife's like, well, let me see. I I have probably about a $120 worth of yarn in here um, because yarn's expensive. It was a big blanket. And she's like, I probably have 30 hours into this blanket. So what's my time worth? If it's, even if it's 20 bucks an hour, that's 600 for, for labor and a hundred dollars for the material. Like, no, I'm not going to sell someone a blanket for $700. That's just not, you know, that's not how it works, but it's a good analogy to, to understand the difference between over here and over there, because you could, you could go to Marshall's and buy this beautifully knitted, it's machine knitted, but it, but it would look the same, if not better than what my wife's making. And you could go buy for 20 bucks. And why is that? Why is that the case? And so really all the factors that I said sort of add up to that but the other thing and again and with the backpack and all that kind of stuff and and we found amazing companies we really like the people that we work with but at the end of the day i i was just i'm making stuff over there to sell over here we're a very environmentally conscious and friendly company and you know to make stuff overseas and to freight it over here, and then and then freight it to our our, our fulfillment uh, house in in Kentucky, where it then gets shipped around. It's like stuff's just moving so much and all over the place, and it's just always been kind of bugging me. And so we are now looking into making a shift. We we have to. So we want to bring all of our manufacturing into the U.S. And we've I, I tr- I've tried to do that in the past, but I've tried to do that with uh, with, with making the same technological innovations in our, in our products. Like, like I was saying, the sealed seams and laser cutting and just all these things that make our products so, so nice and beautiful. Um, and so to, to go apples for apples over here, like the, it was, it was incredibly cost prohibitive. So we've had to change sort of our approach to things and, and reinvent the products that we're, we're working with. So We're working right now with with the founder of uh, American Apparel to develop some some products over here that um, will still have the innovations that we like, but um, they'll they'll just be it'll be it'll be different stuff. And um, I think, in fact, this the way that we're making stuff, I'm actually more excited now about these products than I have about products we've had in the past. And the interesting thing is, you know, we're in LA, and so if I want to go down to the factory and just sit with them and point to things and talk with them, I don't have to hop on a, a 17-hour flight. Of course, because of the quarantine, I, I, you know, I can't do that now. But when we're when everything's back to normal, I'll be able to be to do that. But, but again, doing that and having people get living wages, um, it it makes the stuff really expensive and i think people understand that when stuff's made in the u.s they think they understand that americans are making those those things and you know that that i would say especially especially in la you know uh, an average wage is like probably 15 bucks an hour whereas in in china i think it's probably around two to three dollars an hour um, and then in Vietnam, it's probably about a dollar, dollar, dollar fifteen an hour. So, I mean, those things really, really, you know, labor really adds up, and that's really the I think the the biggest thing there that 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 most companies can't get away from manufacturing things overseas. They just can't do it. Otherwise, things would be so expensive. If you had your you know your Apple laptop made over here, it probably cost. You know, $24,000. <laughs> I know it's already expensive, but it would be seven times. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. It's c- and, and for some things, I mean, like, and some things they just can't do, like a lot of the manufacturing machinery is made over there. And, and when you upgrade your stuff, you could spend, you know, $5 million upgrading your factory and everything that you're, you know, everything that's now outdated you could sell that to another company that's that's coming up, and so, but, you know, I I flew from, um, uh, Fuzhou, uh, on the coast, um, the east coast. Well, I guess it's the only coast they have there, the east coast of China, and uh, I flew south to Guangzhou, which uh, was about an a two hour flight, hour and forty five minute flight, and I looked out the window the entire time, and I was kind of, my stomach kind of turned because we were flying over factories for, for two hours. That's and, crazy. And I was just like, this isn't, you know, and, and honestly, everything that I've said is all true, but the reason we're making this shift is more of a personal reason. Just, just, you know, looking out at what they were doing in all those factories and and all those houses and and all those resources that are just being voraciously consumed you, you you can't look at that and have you know a brain in your head and think that that's sustainable and um and you can just tell that it's just it's it's a it's a ticking time bomb and and you know it's when you say those kind of things now I sound like an alarmist or, you know, conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy theorist. <laughs> um, but, but it's, but it's true. And, 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 and I, like, I just don't know where it's going to be in 20, in 40 years. It's just not sustainable. And I was like, I just can't handle what we are, you know, most of us and probably a lot of our listeners, um, uh, feel about the environment and the outdoors and, 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 and maintaining and sustaining and even creating more more open spaces um and and to see what they're doing just to keep up with d- the demand of of westerners and the rest of the world and it's one of those things where everyone's like you know it's like the, like the emperor's new clothes and everyone's just like does are you guys seeing this like this is right this is this is this is, this is happening like you know a- again it was a two-hour flight it's like flying from from Los Angeles to to Portland or New York City down to like uh, Atlanta Atlanta right? or something yeah yeah and it's and it's and it's solid factories no breaks no breaks solid factories the whole flight and it was just like uh, it was it was it, it, it blew my mind and I was I was very affected by it, by that and other things that I that I saw again we we vetted our factories where we knew and we know that the products that we have are, are amazing and they're the best that we could get. And, and, and they were very expensive because of those things. But, um, again, I, I just think like that these are conversations that are, that people are starting to have in probably not even five years that people will just be like, uh, how do we not see this coming? It's so, actually
1: kind of amazing, right? Especially with COVID-19 happening right now and the shutdown yeah, that's right. happened in Asia and all over the world, you see the one of the one of the few positives that's coming out of this is the lack of pollution. Right. And there's all of those images coming out of showing like pollution over major cities and China was one mm-hmm. of the first ones to come out since the virus started there, but I I guess my question is how how do cuz I've always thought about this too. Moving so moving production to the states, how does that sort of solve or help improve um, that sort of strain that we have on our planet?
0: You know, there
1: there's two things. So one,
0: when I was on that flight and I had that sort of epiphany, and it wasn't an epiphany. It was it was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was like, come on, man, don't, don't don't ignore what you've been seeing. You know, it wasn't the first time I'd seen stuff like that. And, and, and just come to the realization, um, it was, but I was like, but I don't want to champion bringing this to the U S because I don't want us to become over industrialized and, and creating pollutants and everything like that. Because, you know, when those, when companies, they take shortcuts and create more pollution because of the bottom line and, and you know, people are always going to try to get around it and lobbyists and politicians and and corruption and all this kind of stuff. It's just it, you if, if we were doing all of our manufacturing over here, it would it would get messy and, and everything would get messy and the environment would get messy and we would be in a downward spiral. And so I was like, I don't know if I want to bring all that stuff over here. And, you know, like I said, for for certain reasons, technology being and and, and the workforce um, being the other it's 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 not going to happen for a lot of companies. Um, most manufacturing of apparel, um, you know, shoes, electronics. Um, pretty look around your house or wherever you are. I mean, most of the stuff, your couch and you know your curtains and your table and your electronics are all made overseas. You know your windows and I, you know <laughs> I don't I don't know. Um, so it's really not going to happen anytime soon. For me. I wanted to do what I could do because I can do it because we are a smaller company, um, and, and bring our manufacturing back to the U S to, to reduce, uh, our impact on the environment and lower our carbon footprint. So if I'm, you know, we're manufacturing, our fabric now for new products comes from North Carolina, the cotton does. Uh, the hemp comes from, uh, Northern California. Um, it is, uh, is woven together in, um, in, in, in Los Angeles. It is, um, then sewn and manufactured in Los Angeles. Uh, and then we are going to be, um, you know, fulfilling and sending out from Los Angeles. So instead of just moving stuff around and, and taking up space on a, a cargo ship and, and trains and buses, or even planes, or, you know, depending on how how we get our stuff over here, trying to just cut that stuff out of the equation. Is is Asia going to miss me? No. (laughs) Am am I going to make a difference like as an individual? No. Is our company going to, you're going to see an environmental impact from our companies? Absolutely not. You will not. But, but you know, I'm, I'm hoping that I can sleep better knowing what we're doing and be, and be proud of what we're doing. Um, and, and just start to educate. I don't want to shove it down people's throats. Um, you know, but at some point it's going to be too late. You know what I mean? Like, you're just gonna be like, Oh man, I wish you would have really hit that, that point home harder. Um, so, you know, we just, we, we, we plant three trees with every purchase in the U S um, we work at a company called Green Forest Work, um, uh, which works out of uh, the Appalachian region, and that's a whole other can of worms. But what they do is there's areas that, you know, mining used to be, you know, dr- for the most part drilling in and, and going un- under, the, under the, the, the earth and doing their thing. But uh, it was found to be much cheaper if you just chop the top of the mountain off and get your stuff like that. And in the end, you just have to basically rake your stuff clean and then and then get out of there. But the topsoil is gone and 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 foliage can't come in and just naturally replace itself. You're ending up with just brush and grass. And so green forest work, they come in and bring in some topsoil and trees and they're replanting some of those areas and to put it in perspective, it's millions of square miles um, in, in, you know, in the Appalachian region. So, you know, we're, again, the, we plant three trees with every purchase. We're not changing the world. We're not, you know, hate to say this, but we're not really making a difference. We are on the, on, you know, like on the, the starfish analogy, like, you know, a, a squirrel is able to, to nest in the, one of our trees. Okay. It made a difference to him, but you know, hopefully we're just raising awareness and in a way that doesn't turn people off. People don't like to be lectured to. They don't like to really, of course, yeah. they don't want to, they don't want to know where the burger comes from. Um, and that's just who we are as a society and you have to, you just have to acknowledge that. Um, but you know, we're just trying to do it in, in a fun, fun way and, and let people, um, just participate in what we're doing and, This new sort of ethos of our company will will launch uh, this summer. Um, What's interesting is is the fact that the manufacturer, the factory we're working with in Los Angeles, also has government contracts, uh, um, and you know understand that the government, uh, like the military, they need t-shirts and sweatshirts too, and so um, that we're able to actually keep keep going because they're not, they're not having to shut down because they're essential to the military, which is kind of interesting. So we're able to, to still do, um, uh, some business right now. Um, obviously not, uh, I think probably 15% of what we were able to do before, but, um, you know, we're keeping our, our employees at, at full pay and, um, which, you know, a lot of people are going through this, this whole dilemma right now. And, hoping that everyone comes out on the other end, uh, happy and, and healthy and, um, and that it doesn't, doesn't last too much longer.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And that actually brings up a, a really good question that I wanted to ask you specifically about what's going on currently. So for listeners who are listening to this currently, it's, it's April 3rd when we're recording this episode. Um, so obviously this is in the past for someone who's listening to this currently. Um, how, how has COVID-19 really affected your business? And how are you, how was it? How were you able to sort of figure things out and be able to keep your workforce sort of full time? I know you said you have a full time team of six. Mm-hmm. Were you able to do some previous um, planning to be able to um, deal with a crisis like this? Or, or, yeah, I guess kind of walk me through how have you guys been able to weather this? Well, um, you know, a lot of what we do
0: like is, is like roundtable work, whiteboard stuff, and then, and then executing that stuff. And, and it's, it's very, it's very helpful to be in the same place as people. Um, especially when you're, when you're launching something or working on a product. The other thing is we do a lot of photography, social media, um, you know, that kind of thing to like, um, get our message out there. Um, And so, um, you know, we're not able to get together. We're not, I, yesterday was my, was April 2nd was my birthday. My wife had a a trip planned to Yosemite. We were going to go up there with a lot of our products. She's the co-founder of the company. We were going to go up there with, with a bunch of products and take photos and, you know, an excuse to, to go to Yosemite and, and take pictures. But, um, you know, that obviously needed to be canceled Um, We had other photo campaigns, uh, influencer photographers that were um, um, going to be taking pictures for us. So, uh, you know, that's a big part of our business is the marketing side. The other is the development side where, you know, we sit together and we can sit and and toil over a, a sweatshirt for for the whole day, breaking down, you know, sizing and stitching and and and. Innovations and just you know features and all that kind of stuff different kinds of zippers and fabrics and colors and all that kind of stuff So doing that stuff remotely. is just just doesn't it just doesn't work as well um, thankfully our our um, our fulfillment uh, Partner in Kentucky is able to continue fulfilling which is amazing uh, I'm not really sure why how they're able to do that. So we've actually um, we have a, um, a sale going in order to keep the revenue coming in because again, bit, you know, sales have, have plummeted because people are unsure of their own finances. Right. And exactly. so, so they don't know what's happening. Like, I mean, you know, hospitality, travel, uh, I can't list all of the, you know, entertainment. Um, you know, just there's so many people, whoever you are in your community, they're, they're out of work. And that you know, uh, most of us are are, are hand to mouth and and we depend on that paycheck and we miss a paycheck or two, and we find ourselves in a real big pickle. So in order to keep the the sales coming in, uh, the revenue coming in so we can keep paying our employees their their full pay, um, we we've, we've put out a coupon code, which is Corona sixty. And everything is sixty percent off in, the, in our store until this whole thing is over, um, and that's sort of just a way to to spread some love and like again keep the revenue coming in, keep our employees you know fully employed. Um, everyone's just having to be creative with it as well. The other side of of me, the entertainer, um, I we were um, starting to pitch uh, four sheets uh, because. The contract with Drink TV expired. And so we were starting to talk to networks about getting that show picked up and possibly shooting that this summer, which is now not going to happen. Um, and I had a 70, 70 city comedy tour where I was going to 70 different breweries to do my stand up, um, which is all about the travel and the drinking shows and all that kind of stuff, Um, stories from that. And so we were um, going to launch on April 10th. Uh, we were going to, that would be the first show. We were going to start selling tickets on March 17th, which, which was St. Patrick's Day. So that all got got thwarted. And we now just have to wait. So at this point, we've already moved the April shows to September. Now the May shows are being moved to October. And we're having to shift that whole thing. I have a lot of friends that are comedians producers actors um directors you know that everyone in the entertainment business and everyone's sort of like on hold and the the thing is like there's never been an on hold except for like the writer strike or something like that but that didn't affect everybody this right, affects right. this this affects everyone and and the the the, the kicker for it is that y- you just don't know what the end of the, t- uh, the tunnel is it it, could, it it could be april 30th it could be May 30th. It could be July. I mean, we don't think so, but we don't
1: know. Yeah, we really don't
0: have any idea. <laughs> so like all this, like so much production happens in the summer. Um, and it's just all on hold. And I just, you know, there's just, there's, there's a lot of people that are just trying to figure out how to make it through this. And, and it's not like, Oh, I just have to figure out how to get two more weeks. Okay. I can do that. It's like, uh, you know you just it's don't potentially know one where month, it is it's
1: potentially six months <laughs> yeah ex- exactly
0: I, I was telling somebody one of my uh producer friends the other day is like man i just want to watch the movie about this so i just know what happens yeah <laughs> you exactly. know what i mean like because there will be a movie there actually there'll be movies there might be tv shows sure, there may be definitely. all kinds of content yeah. about about this and we just don't know how it's going to end yet we hope that it just kind of fades away but again depending on when you're listening to this you you are listening to this in our future so you know more than we do so exactly
1: maybe maybe the answer is out there already it's definitely an interesting time to be running a business and i I, on the one side it's a terrible thing to go through as a world together but there's a lot of good lessons in it running a business through a crisis like this Mm -hmm. um like our team was sitting down the other day trying to figure out you know, financials like most businesses are to make sure we keep everyone employed, and understanding that there's kind of this weird equation that's like, okay, what does it look like for 30 days if it lasts 30 days, and what happens if it lasts six, seven months? Right. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? And and figuring all of that out is definitely um, a crazy experience that not many businesses ever have ever had to deal with.
0: No, no, and and it's crazy. You know, it's interesting. You said about the, the pollution, that all this pollution is down, and you know, we're in LA, and the skies are a little cleaner than, they, than they've been. Um, and the catch is, is like, <laughs> this kinda gets a little deep, but like, we are an entitled society, you know? And that is why I talked to some of my friends, my, my buddy in Texas yesterday, and he uh, had some friends that had a big party on Saturday like uh, like 50 people because they're just not nah this is this is dumb this is stupid and we're just going to do our own thing and and my my friends are like no guys we we you know this is let's just let's just all do the right thing through this you know and we'll get through it and then 15 you know 30 days it will be over but but everyone just doesn't see it like that and and you know like It's 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 great how the reduction in pollution and all this kind of stuff that's happening right now. But we're gonna get back in our own our our old habits, and totally forget about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I I, we'll see what this whole social distancing thing is. We'll see if people maybe we stop shaking hands in the future. Maybe we stand further apart. You know, like the thing, you know, it it wasn't uncommon for you to take a sip of something and hand it to your friend. Like maybe that stuff's done. Um, I don't know. I think maybe it depends how long this whole thing lasts to know what the what the lasting impact is on it. But um, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see on the other side. But again, for some people you want to say, Oh, just, you know, see the silver lining and they're just having such a big trouble problem with, with, with bills right now and, and keeping their job that they're just like, yeah, I, I'm i am not going to, I can't see that right now. But for some of us, if you're lucky, if you're one of the lucky ones, you, you're maybe paying attention to something in your life that you didn't pay attention to You're maybe you're getting some projects done. Maybe you're, You're evaluating your business in a way that you wouldn't have been able to do, which is what we are able to do in this situation. So we're really reevaluating things right now, um, which is a great uh, uh, opportunity. It comes at a cost, obviously, but but we're able to sort of look at some things and make some changes because we've all had to stop and take a breath. So, yeah, that's um, a really good point. we're, we're, We're trying to see the positives of it
1: yeah and it's definitely interesting to see what happens in the future and um just with all of our businesses the economy uh, the environment all of it together um so we'll see <laughs> we'll see we'll see we'll see we'll know a year from now we'll know more <laughs> exactly well i i want to thank you so much um zane for taking the time to come on the you got podcast it, man. and share your story and the story of adventure and you know for anyone listening to this you can actually enter to win um an adventure travel backpack along with a ton of other travel gear even though i know right now no one's really traveling <laughs> but maybe for that adventure um when things do eventually get back to normal um and with that zane again thanks so much uh, for coming on the show you got it josh my pleasure thank you If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready 8 Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.